0: Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the ninety minutes or less film fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90-minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, I'm pleased to say we're joined by freelance film writer Alistair Bayman. Thank you for joining us, Alistair. Hello. Pleasure to be here. How did you get into being a film critic? What made you want to do this job?
1: It basically started um, after some Whiplash of all films. Oh, I wow. Movie makes people feel a little bit old but yeah i saw whiplash and i just couldn't really comprehend my emotions to it so i decided why don't i just write a review on it and then studying film at a uh, university as well kind of developed my awareness of film as a proper art form and not just popcorn and so yeah i turned my attention to writing for the newspaper and then i went away for a few months to new york to work at a film festival and then came back and i was like i kind of need to go to london i need to get away from the north and yeah pursue film as a genuine career so that's why i'm currently
0: here you got uh fully immersed and i love that you can pinpoint the exact movie where you you know you sort of felt that itch (laughs) yeah
1: yeah i I don't know why it was whiplash maybe it was the compulsive jazz in it and it's got a great
0: soundtrack it's quite upbeat it's very positive
1: it really has and it's two key central performances and yeah i think i finished my review with an expletive because i couldn't summarize my emotions that well Mm. but hopefully i class myself as a bit better now
0: a lot of people don't know there isn't like a a clear path to becoming a film critic like a lot of jobs in film your journey you know you really like jumped in there and you made sure you did that you went to new york you moved to london Mm. what's your sort of advice for someone who wants to get into doing what you do now
1: i think it's just persevering because it's it's tough in an age where everything is so based over the internet mm. and kind of surrounding yourself by fellow like-minded people who love film because then you kind of motivate each other to really strive for better pieces, better perspectives and kind of be more inclusive towards film. But yeah, it's, it's tough, but I'm in the passion of film. Carries you through it in a beautiful way that I don't think many industries do.
0: Is there something that's happened, like that you've got to do or you got to work on in the last couple of years, which the pre-whiplash Alistair would just couldn't believe, you know, would happen in future?
1: I don't know. Maybe doing interviews just at junkets and everything, and kind of being face to face with talent and stuff. Like you, you just see, you know, big big talent on the Graham Norton show, and you think it's like only for a select few. But if you persevere, you can get into that room. And, yeah, and really ask your questions and and project your opinion of a film onto someone to then get a really good take
0: out of them. Absolutely. And then share it with your readers or your listeners. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So it sounds like you you are fully immersed in film. Is that still the case? When you have your spare time, do you still watch movies for pleasure or is it kind of like, I'm going to see some daylight today? (laughs) It's
1: annoyingly still the latter. That kind of as soon as I'm done with my day, it's go to the gym, chill out for a while and then turn my attention towards either my football club or film, which is in the case, it always kind of has to be that 90-minute mark unless it's the weekend where it's special and it can be a three-hour film.
0: It's good to meet a fellow running time enthusiast. Yes, <laughs> yes,
1: it's all about the running time, all about it.
0: So when we got in touch about coming on this podcast, mm-hmm. what went through your mind? Did you have a film in mind already? Did you have to sort of maybe you know look through your, your favourite films or find a list online to sort of choose your movie?
1: I had an idea of of one i wanted to do and that was eyes without a face the french film by Georges Franju, i think it is but then with a little bit more thought i was like no there's so many other gems out there and paris is burning was one but then when i discovered this one brief encounter i was like that has to be my pick given the fact i'm quite a emotional person and i like a golden oldie
0: Noel Coward's sensitive portrayal of what happens when two happily married strangers, played by Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard, meet, and their acquaintance deepens, into affection and love. It is the story of two people thrown together by a chance meeting, helpless in the face of their emotions, but redeemed by their moral courage. Over the years, few films have equaled the compassion and realism of Brief Encounter. That's quite a good synopsis on the back of the it's box there. big. The there. realism
1: really lands that blow, I think.
0: So Brief Encounter, directed by David Lean from 1945, 86 minutes long. Often regarded as one of the greatest British films ever made. It's popped up on loads of lists over the years. And I love that this is the oldest film uh, currently in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. That's uh, something And directed by one of the most celebrated filmmakers of all time.
1: Definitely feels like a... Not one that people don't think about when they think about David Lean, but I think Lawrence of Arabia is like the elephant in the room, really. And funnily enough, that's not 90 minutes. Oh, no. Uh, far from <laughs> it. And then also something as Dr. Zhivago. But this brief encounter is like, if I could, it didn't come under the category, I don't think, but it's a t- double billet with Passionate Friends, which is his other film from a few years later. Yeah, also it was quite recent. It was quite Travener. close to that, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. And they, they both fit beautifully into each other in kind of these uh, negotiations of relationships that, never really are fulfilled or reach their full potential.
0: When you chose the film and after I rewatched it, which mm. was a real joy, like some of the best homework I've had mm. in a long time, I did look through David Lean's filmography to see if he'd had any other sort of 90-minute gems. And mm. most of his films are slightly over or really over. Yeah, yeah there's no
1: there's no middle ground to this 90-minute David Lean fest.
0: So. so do you remember the first time you watched this film?
1: I think it was one of those like throughout studying film and then becoming more aware of British film, like past kind of, bob well, further back than Full Monty or something like that. I like Brief Encounter is the one that's just talked about all the time, and I didn't watch it till quite late. I will maybe want to say like four or five years ago, and kind of over the years, I've I've actually not rewatched it until doing homework for oh, this. Really? <laughs> but the fact it's kind of in a lot of stuff like Todd Haynes's Carol, the hand touch on the shoulder. Is kind of a graphic match to that that Trevor Howard gives, and then also in films like Phantom Thread and In the Mood for Love, you feel kind of brief encounters ripple throughout like filmic history. I can't really remember the moment I watched it, but it was quite something, and I was kind of going through a breakup of my own, of, of like of, of romance and feeling that like love, and it really impacted and resonated with me to the extent that just the one scene at the end where they're walking back just to the cafe always sets me off.
0: I think I was surprised when I, I mean, the film, when you watch the film, you know, it looks like something from a time gone by mm. and it's black and white and it's in, you know, this academy aspect ratio. So it does look like something from the past, but it also feels quite relevant today. And I think that's it's like such a amazing feat of screenwriting and of performance uh, for this. Did you have that same feeling?
1: Yeah, d- definitely looking back at both the central performances, um, particularly cecilia johnson's the way she starts the film and it cuts to an internal monologue slash narration which obviously kind of tips its hat to its origins as a play but the way she sets the tone of the film and then it's a beautiful moment at the end of the film when you realize the start of the film is actually the end of the film and you're kind of kind of caught and aware in this journey that these two people go on yeah it does feel like an incident that it doesn't happen just at a train station it happens across the world
0: it's quite an intimate film and you're right it's based on a play written by noel coward and then adapted by noel coward for this film and it feels like he's had a chance to go back in and flesh this world out i do hear that david Lean also co-wrote the screenplay but is uncredited so there's a bit of lean in there as well but it's also it feels intimate which is it still feel has that sort of play-like feeling it's basically about these two characters the other cast are almost entirely incidental I'd love to know what people at the time thought of like starting the film with the end like that. Mm. I think that's something we've seen you know, referenced and parodied a million times now, mm. probably right down to Saturday morning cartoons. But I think at the time, that felt like it would be quite bold. I can't think of other examples from that era like this.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely in that bold approach at the start, but particularly at the end as well, where Cecilia Johnson's character is about to do something that she may regret. And the camera tilts one way to kind of insinuate her mental fragile state and then after the incident it tilts back and then also there's numerous fades throughout the film so yeah i was i was very i was caught unawares of its technical craft as well as opposed to just its screenwriting and and performances i do think it as you said it is it does resonate with modern audiences and and it does look like a modern film in every sense with those narrative elements and cinematic ones
0: I'm not hugely familiar with Celia Johnson or Trevor Howard, who who star in the film, play our protagonist, Laura, and, and Dr. Alec Harvey. The, 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 these performances in this film are incredible.
1: They just burst out of the scene and, and kind of project all their emotion onto you. And I think the way particularly the start because obviously it's at the end of the film there's not a lot of dialogue and you can kind of tell this you you gain the sense very quickly that there's something between these two people even though the the kind of put this lady magically stumbles in and is pushed upon the two that just the eye movements between mm. each other insinuates a lot of deep love between the two even though they've only spent a couple of thursdays together in hindsight and have just gone to the cinema and, on, and gone on idle walks
0: do you have you got any sort of other experience with them acting in other films do you know their work
1: only with Trev- trevor howard and the passionate friends that's the only only time i've i've seen him and neither with cecilia johnson either i did obviously do some research and B, and she obviously has had both have had extensive film careers but i feel as though this film that's the beauty cinema places them in this just time and period that Mm. they'll always be remembered for and and this sense of beautiful Britishness that I've kind of have come to love about this
0: I was really pleased to hear that Celia Johnson was nominated for an Academy Award for this performance Mm. and then it made me think why didn't I know why isn't she a household name yeah because this performance is iconic and the film is iconic but I think that the people behind the film apart from David Lean Noel Coward I, I don't think they're they've sort of benefited so much off the back of it
1: yeah maybe due to the fact it was kind of in those World War 2 years and the state of production at those times where it was heavily kind of you know not propagandist in a sense but you just have to look at America and the Hays production code there and and how a, only a certain selective actor really got through there someone like Barbara Stanwyck or something like that who was like an absolute star so yeah, I would I don't want to say it doesn't surprise me that her career didn't reach the heights but it's quite a testament to her acting ability that 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 she, I think she essentially carries the film right throughout and makes it this timeless piece of film.
2: This can't last. This misery can't last. I must remember that and try to control myself. Nothing lasts, really. Neither happiness nor despair. Not even life lasts very long. There'll come a time in the future when I shan't mind about this anymore. When I can look back and say quite peacefully and cheerfully how silly I was. No, no, I don't want that time to come ever. I want to remember every minute. Always. Always to the end of my days.
0: it feels real and it feels lived in is the supporting characters. Do you have a favourite supporting character in this film?
1: Okay, so from the two times I've watched this film and the numerous times I've replayed it in my head, I think it has to be the refreshment lady who is just making cups of tea, is as working class as they come and flirts with the ticket. Assistant as yes. well, and they're, they're funnily enough, their expression of of emotion, and and particularly the tea lady's ability to just naturally talk about her husband divorcing him, which would not have gone down well with anyone at that time, uh, offers as a nice kind of uh, juxtaposition to the two middle class repressed people. But yeah, definitely the tea lady. And, and I think there's a scene where she says, Oh, I've dropped my buns. Yes, and it's, it's quite quite hilarious. It's obviously a little bit of an indywandu given she's an elderly lady, but. Yeah, just the whole world the film creates with the opening kind of title sequence with the two trains passing over each Mm -hmm. other. It's almost like a noir and then these characters come into it and give it a beautiful breath of life.
0: I I love that so much. The film takes place in the tea room at the station where Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard have a lot of scenes together. And I also love that due to the nature of their relationship, they have to be discreet in public like that. So it gives room uh, for the supporting characters to sort of take the scene. What they're saying doesn't mean anything, really, although it's nice to listen to, but it's all about the expressions of our protagonists. Yeah. So it's just a really well put together scene, I think.
1: Yeah, it really is. And and you can kind of watch those two People, the tea lady and the ticket officer. You could watch those interact with each other all day. And and back to your point, it does feel like that's been fleshed out and and pulled away, probably from the the play itself, which would have been just solely focused on these two. And that would have been a background noise, I imagine.
0: I love a cinema scene in a movie. One of my favourite things to see whilst I'm in a cinema is my characters in a cinema. What do you think of the cinema scenes in this film?
1: I think it it kind of plays into this romantic ideal of the cinema being somewhere where couples can go and retreat and the name of the film is (laughs) it's like the flames of passion isn't it which is quite hilarious given the fact that these two are, uh, are wanting to commit adultery that the way that cecilia johnson narrates the scene and there's just a tiny tiny line about how the ticket usher looks upon them with envy at the fact that the, the the cinema is this very romantic space and 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 yeah obviously at the time it would have been projected on 35 millimeter mm. and just seeing the smoke kind of rise up in the in the in the black and white frame is is a yeah beautiful moment i, I don't necessarily think i would want to watch the flames of passion <laughs> but yeah the the, the setting in terms of placing it in a cinema yeah i love those self-reflexive moments as well
0: it's a really good point. Like It was great for me in my living room on, on Blu-ray to watch that and go, oh, old cinema from the past. But of course, at the time, you're watching it in exactly the same environment, a grand auditorium with people smoking and talking. And, and also because at that time, cinemas would just play the film on a loop and you would come in whenever. You wouldn't necessarily be there for the start. You'd be there as an activity to escape for whatever reason. And you just wait for the film to start again. So it was quite a casual affair. And I, I quite like that. The film title is incredible, considering what the characters are doing at this point. It is called The Flames of Passion. It's a fictional film, but it even has extra credits based on the novel, Uh, Gentle Summer, which is also a fictional novel, and written by Alice Porter uh, Storhey, and who is also a fictional writer. So I love that Noel Coward and David Lean are having fun with sort of the dressing in their scenes. I would quite like to watch Flames of Passion.
1: I don't know the tone it, it goes for with the with the lady who rises out of the ground with the, with the organ. I think that for me, I'm always very personally attached to the films that I love. And in the village I grew up in, at the very top of the hill, in this small northern town, there's a cinema called The Palace. And it, it's not got an organ, sadly. It's not playing the Flames of Passion. But it's got this kind of vivid quality that reminds me of old cinemas. And I think somewhere in the back of my head, I've attached these two cinemas together and imagined they're like a a shared space or something like that.
2: Do you? Do I what? Come here every Thursday. Oh, yes, I do the week shopping, thank you. Change my library book, have lunch, and generally go to the pictures. Not a very exciting routine, but it makes change. Are you going to the pictures this afternoon? Yes. Hmm extraordinary so am i i thought you had to spend all day at the hospital well between ourselves i killed two patients by accident this morning the matron is very displeased with me i, I simply can't go back <laughs> can you be so silly but seriously i really did get through most of my work this morning won't matter at all if i play truant would you mind very much if i came to pictures with you
0: I mean the whole film is about how our two characters Meet incidentally, and then meet again, uh, and then and then start to fall in love. Do you have like a key moment in their relationship that you enjoyed on this this rewatch?
1: I think it's kind of hard to ignore the the dust scene, you know, getting the dust out of her eye, because that mm. kind of comes out of nowhere and just that. That kind of sense of Brittiness just to be nice towards people and help help each other out, but maybe going through it, the scene that resonated with me the most is when she goes to his kind of lad pad in a sense where he shares it with his fellow doctor, mm. and I think they would consummate their relationship if it wasn't for the guy kind of coming in and cop blocking um, his the old roommate. His, yeah, <laughs> his, his fellow doctor. Yeah, that scene because it's so. I mean as a kid you're not you you're not kind of aware of romance as a thing but that is like the pinnacle point of of really developing a relationship and and yeah and the way she leaves the scarf and kind of runs home in the rain it reminded me of like Jean Moreau or someone like that.
0: So that was where I sort of reminded me David Lean was directing it mm. because it's not the vast vistas of Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Zhivago but Celia Johnson runs out of the flat and then there's this tracking shot down a street it's raining she sort of runs across the street but it's it's quite a long tracking shot and it's quite a long piece of action which we haven't really seen in this film because people are often static in cafes and stuff and it felt like David Lean got to sort of just flex his muscles a bit he's like oh yeah I can do some like depth of focus and some fun camera moves on here the fact she runs to the camera and as she gets closer and closer to the camera you can see just how upset she is is. and the monologue at that point is just like crushing because she's she's really upset in her head and physically. I think that's quite, such a powerful scene. I, I really loved watching that and I'd never noticed that scene before really. It was only on this rewatch. I was like, ah, oh, that's the David Lean moment. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think that also, weirdly enough, obviously with the trains kind of being present in of Arabia as well, the way the, the trains create shadow mm. in the, the station itself, like the very kind of penultimate scene where they're walking back together and she's talking about how... Well, it's just after Trevor uh, Trevor Howard has talked about how this is the end of loving you now, but not, but just not preventing me from loving you forever and there's this, the kind of silhouette cuts across and the smoke runs across as well. And even though it's not as kind of cinematic as that track and shot, the way he manipulates the trains to kind of just overbear them mm. and this sense of like the ephemeral nature of just these trains, but then also it translates to their relationship. That sparked a little tear in my eye, I will say, that scene as well.
0: Yeah. Their, their relationship is set against a harsh background because both of the characters are married mm. and I think the trains sort of add the drama to it because the trains are so dramatic they're loud, they're noisy, because they're steam trains there's lots of smoke and steam and shadows and you're right, absolutely, I think it's a really good way to uh, express their relationship and there's a scene towards the end where he mentions their trains are going in opposite directions, like that's it that's your relationship, you've briefly stopped together at a station but you're ultimately on different life train tracks. (laughs) Mm.
1: Yeah, this this film with umbrellas of Cherbourg kind of marks yeah, melancholic trains as I like to call it, the fact that Yeah, in both films, trains signify a lot of sadness and really, really sad. So, yeah, I won't be getting a train anytime soon, I don't think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we're working up to doing a screening of this film. If you had to stand in front of the audience and say why you chose this film, what would your response to that be? I think
1: it would be the fact it kind of cuts to the core. Obviously not everyone commits adultery, but uh, it, it cuts to the core of being human in processing all these emotions internally and having or not having the ability to project them to someone you love or to someone, even if it's just this weird, annoying woman who's tagging along with you on your journey home, I think, it, yeah, it cuts to the core of being a human and, and having aspirations and dreams that are kind of out of your control. And, and you have control in thinking about these things but you cannot have an influence over the these train tracks Could you really say goodbye never see me again
2: Yes, if you'd help me
1: I love you, Laura I shall love you always until the end of my life I can't look at you now because I know something. I know that this is the beginning of the end. Not the end of my loving you, but the end of our being together. But not quite yet, darling. Please, not quite yet.
2: Very well, not quite yet.
1: This is a a romance, but obviously it's very sad, but it's... It's kind of a far cry from the way British romance has gone, and, and modern rom-coms.
0: Are you typically speaking? Do you uh, are you a fan of uh, romance films or romantic comedies, or is this sort of like the the one on your on your list?
1: It's more like films that have got feels, as I call them, mm-hmm. I where you feel the feels. It sounds like an awful saying, but I don't know, my friend's going to hate me for saying this, but I always go about Mia Hansen Love because I think she's one of the most purest. She's one of the most pure directors in capturing human emotion and what it means to love or to not love or to have desire and passion so that's maybe where the film fits more into my kind of niche as feeling the feels but oh yeah i'd I'd, I'd be rude to not say i don't love a rom-com but it's i'm kind of glad this doesn't have any of the comedic overtones of anything such as notting hill or film runs in a funeral
0: absolutely I, I do think it wouldn't take too much to restage this as a rom-com it, if you it think wouldn't. about the scenes like the, yeah. the grit in the eye is I think mm. what uh, Eli Wallach in The Holiday would call a meat cute totally and and I think you could sort of play some of the, the you could almost turn it into fuss you know like when the guy the doctor's roommate walks into the room but in this they play it so seriously and earnestly it, it, you you just can't help but feel how tragic the story is yeah. but I think they always you know it's that fine line between comedy and tragedy and, and I think this is it <laughs> yeah this David Lean is it Brief Encounter is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. Fantastic choice. Thank you. You're going to present this film to an audience. If you could do anything to sort of complement that screening, what would it be if you... You you can do anything you want, within reason.
1: (laughs) So I would definitely start off on some classic British tea with buns of some sort. Maybe a... Definitely a sweet bun. Mm. It wouldn't be a hot cross bun, because they're only for Easter. So, uh, yeah, some kind of sweet bun and... I feel like to kind of ride the wave of this whole Great Gatsby thing, everyone has to come in 1945, fancy dress, to kind of get your wool on, you know, get your fancy cap. So those are two immersive elements. But then I thought just to... It would be quite hard to do, actually. But to fill the room with a lot of smoke, so it would almost seem like the film is pouring out of the screen, and to have kind of, not cups of tea smashing behind you, but yeah, just to make it a, a further immersive element, those are the two... That I've thought of, particularly the smoke, given that it's so prominent in the trains and and the way that yeah people smoke quite a bit. Well, she smokes one or two times in it just to add that added value. But yeah, definitely a cup of tea, hundred percent.
0: Would you would you stage or like try and time any sort of trains going by? Would you like set the screening to you know to catch the twelve oh six from London Bridge and then feel the screen rumble?
1: I think yeah, I think that's equally a good idea. I think. I mean, just having it in a cinema is quite a nice thing, self-reflexively. And I don't know, maybe to throw water over the audience when Trevor Howard falls into the lake. Well, stands in the lake, he doesn't (laughs) really fall into the lake. Uh, Yeah, kind of more niche 4DX things as opposed to anything ridiculous i want to retain the essence of the film i,
0: I like that i think we should tr- so we're trying for a 1940s style 4dx yes so actual yes. people smoking and sort of wafting it onto the audience actual people with cups of tea uh, i like this like an analog 4dx yes
1: exactly cool. yeah i think
0: hipsters will go nuts for this i, I don't think so a <laughs> who, needs, who
1: needs secret cinema when you've got 1940s 4dx
0: i assume we'll play the trailer for flames of passion before the feature.
1: Yes, of course, that's that's obligatory. And I feel like we have to keep this on loop in the tent or the screening to kind of add that added value of of it coming from a time and a place and just keep that smoke pouring in.
0: And I think my embellishment as the producer of this uh, screening would be to maybe just, uh, the house music would be the Rachmaninoff that we hear constantly throughout the film. Most played definitely. really loud yeah, and <laughs> in like mono.
1: <laughs> just to really pull everyone's heartstrings. And, and yeah, I think also... I, I envisage this as quite a, a diverse audience in terms of, my nan will probably be there. Mm-hmm. I think young it's accessible for younger people. It's a PG, if, if I read the-
0: It is a PG, uh, yes.
1: <laughs> Correctly, so yeah, I think that's, again, why it cuts back to why I wanted to pick it and program it at this film festival, is the fact that it is accessible for everyone but then also laser template for, you know, a 12-year-old to grow up a bit and then watch some one car and then Mia Hansen Love or
0: whatever he wants to do. What a triple bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you could invite one guest to this screening to either introduce it or maybe take some questions afterwards, who would that be?
1: Oh, I mean, I suppose it would be quite nice to get someone from David Lean's family there, because I'm sure they'd have some good a- anecdotes. But obviously raising someone from the dead is not possible. But I would... I would just love Trevor Howard just to rock up and cuz he's just I've only seen him in two films but he's just caught in my head and his his hair his clothes he's a dashing chap
0: maybe a real life train conductor could start the screening that's, that's very true. Or we could, get a,
1: we could get a tea connoisseur to yes. come on stage as well and and have a little bit of banter between the two of them.
0: That character in that scene, she's filling up for about 12 cups of tea and one go with one teapot. Yeah. If the people serving tea at the screening could also do that, that would just be wonderful. Yeah, most definitely. And make
1: sure to not drop your buns as well. No bun screening. dropping. Yes. We'll have signs. Yes, <laughs> it's yeah, it strictly off limits to do so.
0: Well, thank you so much, Alistair. I'm really pleased to say Brief Encounter is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, and we'll, we'll schedule the screening and uh, we'll get tickets on sale. Great. Wonderful. I'll
1: go and get this steam machine or whatever, this smoke machine, whatever you want to call it.
0: Where can people read more of your work online?
1: So, obviously, like any person, you have to be on Twitter. So you can find me at Alistair Bayman, but it's A-L-A-S-D-A-I-R, as I found out from numerous years of people spelling my
0: name so yeah thank you so much for talking to us about this film no problem thank you for having me and thank you listeners for listening to this podcast please do like favorite subscribe on apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice why not leave us a review that would be very nice we're also available on spotify you can also contact us at 90 Min Film Fest on twitter and instagram and we have a website with transcripts which are really fun to do and hopefully you'll enjoy reading them those are available at 90minfilmfest.com 90minfilmfest.com The show is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.